Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for interacting with the product in any way that you can. Like, comment, subscribe, if that's all applicable. Star ratings, written reviews, anything that you can do to help out the show, it all matters. If you've done all that, share. Share the episode, share the show in general, anyone that you know that you think might enjoy it. Let them know we're here. Please point them in our direction. Uh, It means a lot. It absolutely means a lot to me that you guys continue to do this. So thank you for listening, as always. On the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN 37. Uh, Wow. You know, I have to appreciate Jack Slack's... uh, facetious tweet on the matter you know sometimes it's the events that actually look good on paper that deliver (laughs) because of that stupid ufc talking point that you know it's these fight nights that everyone sleeps on that give you the best action and it's not it's really not but i mean i talked about it in the preview i had a lot of high hopes for this event and we got violence we got a lot of violence so we have a lot to go over as far as that goes uh Really good card, actually. Uh, and a preview. This coming Saturday, the UFC is back at the Apex facility. They will have UFC on ESPN 38. So we will preview that. And news around the combat sports world and whatnot. So, you know, we will have all of that to get to. All right, let's not waste too much time. Let's get right into things now. UFC and ESPN 37, main event. Josh Cater, Josh Cater, Josh Emmett defeats, uh, before I get into this fight, just very briefly, uh, we were supposed to get Joe Lozon and uh, Donald Cerrone on this card. They were supposed to fight a few weeks ago. Cerrone got food poisoning. They pushed it back here. This time, Lozon tweaked his left knee. Uh, Like, the day of the, he made weight and then did something to it. To hear him tell it, he would just, like, bend over putting his socks on, and then when he... Got done with that, his knee would not bend. Uh, He spent the rest of that day not being able to put any weight on his leg. So that fight got called off. Uh, I don't know what injury he might have, but hopefully it's not serious. I mean, your knee locks up when you're just doing normal, everyday things. That's not good. I don't think you have to be a medical professional to know that's not good, but how bad and what you might do do to deal with it, I don't know. So hopefully it's not serious. But this might be one of those cursed fights that never actually comes to fruition, and I'm not that high on old guy fights at the moment, so I'm okay if that one never actually comes to pass. Just throwing that out there. So we lost that, but we had 13 fights on the card with that one, so 12 without it. Uh, Yeah, uh, again, hopefully Lozon is able to assess and address whatever the injury is in quick succession so because i don't i don't have anything bad to say about joe lozon i hope he's able to have a good quality of life as he moves on with his existence beyond fighting all right but that out of the way main event uh josh emmett defeats calvin cater via split decision these were 48 47s one of these cards i thought was total crap um total crap yeah there was one of them that gave emmett the fourth which I, doing this live, I was four to one for Cater. I gave Emmett the third, which I think was unanimously his. No issues with that round. 
Um, but I gave Cater the other rounds. Now, one and two, I'm not as sold on uh, doing it live. I think one in particular was very close. Um, one could have gone either way. I favored Cater's work, but I'm not going to get bent out of shape over that one. Two, again, I favored Cater, but I don't dislike a 3-2 to two score for Josh Emmett. I don't agree with it, but I think it's defensible. Uh, again, there was one judge, one of the judges gave Emmett the first three and then Cater four and five. I think that's defensible. One judge gave, pull up the specifics here because I want to make sure I get this right. Have a quick look here. Yeah, so, oh, it was, yeah, Chris Lee, who gave Emmett rounds one, three, and four. Giving Emmett the fourth is a lot. That's that's no, no. Like that's straight up wrong, by every logical explanation of the judging criteria. There's no reason that round should have gone to uh, Emmett. None. Now, again, if you gave the if you gave the fight to Emmett, I I disagree. But like I said, I'm not. I'm not throwing a fit, and I'm not upset. I just don't agree, but that's not the end of the world. Uh, looks like most of the media gave it to Cater. Yeah, most. Not all, but most. Uh, there's no need to go through each individual outlet. Just as in, most of them thought Cater won that 48-47. I think Emmett got a lot of credit for power shots and for aggression that didn't amount to a whole lot. Now, this did place it, take place in Texas. And to the best of my recollection, Texas uses the old scoring, the old rule set and the old scoring criteria. The UFC has abandoned informing us on the broadcast, mind you, about what rule set they're operating under. I don't know why, but they have. They've just, eh, let people take... Let people try to figure it out, I guess. I don't know. It it annoys me. Uh, but there it is, as far as that goes. So under the old criteria, and that might be a thing here. I'd have to double-check this, but that, that's to the best of my recollection. Under the older scoring criteria that Texas uses, they give a, they give a bit more weight to aggression and forward pressure, whether or not it leads to anything effective. This is part of the argument about um, John Jones when he beat Dominic Reyes. That Jones got a lot of credit for some for, for forward motion and forward pressure, even though he didn't do much with it. And that was permissible under the scoring system that they were, uh, scoring criteria that was being used. I tend to think that even under that criteria, I got a hard time finding the first three for M. And I think, I think that second one in particular really probably should have gone to Cater. Uh, but it's like I said, it's not the end of the world. Um, dude, Emmett's face was busted up by the end of this. Cater, I think what cost... So you had Emmett who was swinging power punches, and especially under the old criteria, power punches, even if you block them and whatnot, they tend to look better. They tend to stick out more in the minds of judges and whatnot. So a bit of... Uh, 
it's a, there's gamesmanship that has to kind of go into that. But Cater's jab was just, he chewed up Emmett for long stretches of this fight. Emmett's, uh, his left eye was a mess by the end of this. He got cut around the outside of his eyebrow above it, but the uh, the outer corner, in, I think it was the first round. And it wasn't bad when it first happened. It was small, it bled, but it wasn't too bad. Cater was able to zero in on that thing, and by the end of this fight, that left eye of Emmett's was swollen, and that cut was pretty darn big. I don't think the ju- I don't think the doc ever looked at it, which was a little bit surprising. Uh, that was a pretty bad cut, and I think I should have checked his eye anyway. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but yeah, his eye, his eye got messed up by Cater. Now, to Emmett's credit, his power punches did have some effect. He had some nice body work uh, that he went to in this fight. And I think that kind of slowed Cater down a little bit. But Cater was just, he was a little bit frozen by the power coming back. Very mindful of it. And I think he just was a little bit too diminished with his offensive output. Uh, I mean, I think for round, there was uh, big stretches of the third round where he did nothing but jab. I mean, nothing but jab. Like, didn't build off of it, didn't use it to set anything else up. Uh, just a lot of jabs. And I like the jab. It's a great weapon. And he uses it pretty darn well. But you've got to build off of it, or someone who's pushing more of the action and landing some power punches. Again, the third round universally went to Emmett, and deservedly so. Uh, but that's kind of the story of how some of the other rounds might have gone the other way, uh, ultimately. Apart from that f- that fourth round to Emmett, that, that makes no sense to me. Just straight up none. Uh, was a good fight. Featured some good adjustments from both guys. Uh, said, I, I don't hate a scorecard. I don't hate three to two for Emmett. If you gave him the first three, I think you can do that. I don't agree, but I think it's something that can be done under the rule set. Uh, under the scoring criteria. Uh, not a lot of kicks from either guy. Uh, again, I think Cater's just slightly more muted offense in terms of volume. And he did a lot of just straight head hunting. Uh, did not vary his attack all that much. Uh, which hurt. Um, both this is It was a little bit odd because Cater actually does throw some... Pre, he's a pretty good leg kicker. Throws a lot of calf kicks. He uses them. Then he starts building his jab kind of off of that. And then he builds the rest of his strikes up from there. I don't know if he was worried about being caught on one uh, leg kicking because of the power. I don't know if he was worried about being taken down. That's one of the reasons you throw the calf kick instead of the thigh kick. It's a little bit harder to time the takedown off of it, or certainly to catch it. So I'm not sure entirely what was uh, why he did not throw too many of them, but he did not throw very many at all. I think he threw single digits of leg kicks throughout the course of this fight. Uh, and uh, Cater's left eye was a little bit busted up. It was bruised and swollen. Uh, he was bleeding also, I think, from the, the nose or the bridge of the nose. I mean, Emmett did connect. I don't mean to say that Emmett did nothing but miss punches. He missed a lot. But he had a, and he had a lot that were blocked. You know, Cater did a pretty good job of uh, diffusing that those bombs. So, as I thought Cater won, but I'm not I'm not up in arms over it. 
Emmett afterwards said he wants a title shot next. He's 37. So I understand him calling for the title shot. And there's a few other moving pieces here that we have to take into consideration. One, we don't know what's going to happen with the third fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. We also... Look, if... If Volkanovsky wins, and I do favor him ever so slightly, he might say he might try for a shot at the lightweight belt. He's been pretty vocal about that, actually. And frankly, him and Charles Oliveira, that's a heck of a fight. That is a heck of a fight. We've also got the upcoming fight between Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. We also don't know how badly messed up Emmett's face is after this. I mean, it, it might just be cuts and bruises, which just takes time to heal. Um, but if there's anything more serious going on in his face, and he's had broken... Dude, remember, Jeremy Stevens broke his face. Uh, did, like, serious damage to him. Uh, I think, like, he lost feeling in a quarter of his mouth. From, what St- from some of what Stevens landed on him. Like, that was... He's been busted up in the past, so we'll have to wait and see a little bit how he recovers from this fight. We have to see what Yair and Ortega do. We have to see how Holloway and Volkanovski turns out. I mean, if Max Holloway ekes out a split decision over Volkanovski, we, let's say it out loud, there might be a fourth fight between those two guys. Might. Would not be, uh, again, there might be. That might be a thing. So, a lot of moving pieces. If you're, I mean, if you're in Emmett's spot here, you're on a good winning streak. You're maybe the funny thing about Josh Emmett. I think I'm trying to remember the exact statistic here. He has the most knockdowns of anyone outside of the heavyweight division in the last like couple of years. In fact, he had knocked down. Every, he had scored at least one knockdown in each of his last, I want to say, eight fights. Did not knock Cater down here, so he broke the streak. But Emmett might be pound for pound uh, the hardest puncher in the in the UFC. I mean, you talk about a guy who's able to score knockdowns consistently and has more of them than pretty much anyone who's not a literal heavyweight. Um, his power relative to the guys he's facing is pretty significant. Uh, and age of 37, you know, that's old for uh, for featherweight. He doesn't have time to mess around. Um, I don't know that he'll get the next title shot. This was a good win. It's a bit of a contested one, and that's going to hurt his chances a little bit. You've got, and there's just too many unknowns at the moment. He is certainly a, he, should, he certainly should be in the, con, in consideration for a title shot. Whether or not everything lines up for him, I find it a bit doubtful. I'm not saying it's impossible, but that's a bit unlikely. So, uh, as for Cater, he's probably he's gonna have another tough fight, man. There's no easy fights at featherweight, and Calvin Cater has been in the freaking trenches, man. Uh, that is a tough fighter. So I don't know. He's gonna fight someone. He's gonna have to fight someone else, probably still in the top ten. Uh, he's fought a lot of guys. He hasn't he fought actually? Have a quick look at what he's done. I mean, yeah, his last few fights, he's fought other guys in the top. 
you know, Josh Emmett here, Giga Chikadze before that, Max Holloway, Dan Ige, Jeremy Stevens, Zabit, who we'll talk a little bit about in a bit. Uh, Ricardo Lamas, he knocked Ricardo Lamas out, man. That was a that was a gnarly knockout. I mean, his knockout of Jeremy Stevens was brutal. The elbow he crushed him with, man, just. I mean, but you know, to his credit, he took a full year after that fight with Max Holloway, which is probably for the best, man. Holloway beat the, put a historic beating on him. No one, no one in the history of the UFC has been beaten, has, has absorbed as many strikes in one fight as Cater did against Max Holloway. I mean, you take a beating like that, you take all the time you need to get right. But he did rebound with a really good win over Giga Chikadze. Uh, what do the rankings look like? Because he was number four coming into this. And Emmett was seven. So he's probably going to wind up fighting. We don't know what's up with the Korean zombie. Uh, you got Arnold Allen in that same space. Bryce Mitchell might need an opponent. If you want to be mean to him, he fights Movsar of Loyev. Uh, he could fight the loser of Ortega and Rodriguez, maybe. But there's... Yeah, because I don't think he's not fought either of them. So there's certainly still options for him as far as uh, people he can fight and ways that he can continue to be relevant in the division. But yeah, featherweight's a really, really good weight class. It's probably number three. Uh, what where you rank lightweight or bantamweight as one and two is largely a matter of preference. It's almost like one A and one B. But I but featherweight's right below them. It's a really solid division, so he's not going to have an easy fight next, kind of no matter who it is. Uh, really good fight. I believe this was your fight of the night. Yes, it was. So, uh, good for them. You know, uh, uh, biggest win of Emmett's career, certainly. So, good fight. Uh, disagreed with the decision, but it's not a robbery by any stretch of the imagination. Co-main event, Kevin Holland defeats Tim Means via Darst Choke, 128 of the second. Um, Kevin Holland at welterweight is a bit of a handful. He's a long, he's not just tall, he's long. He fights long, he's got good timing on his punches. Uh, he's got good pop. He hurt Means here, and Means is a pretty durable guy. Uh, here it means a couple of different times, uh, a really nice right hand that led to Means trying a single leg. Holland sprawls, defends, realizes he has the Darce opportunity, gets it. Means kind of rolls the wrong way. Well, wrong way is a bit of an overstate, overstatement there. Because there's pros and cons to rolling either direction. He, The way he went wound up not working out. Uh, Holland locked it up. Means tapped fairly quickly. Again, he was hurt and he was caught in a choke. Uh, Holland at welterweight is someone you better have on your radar he seems to be finding himself can fight at a good clip uh is making the necessary adjustments to his preparation and fighting philosophy fights long has good power that's that guy could be a real problem uh, for a guy who came into the ufc because he had a personality and not saying he couldn't fight, but that's what got him. If you'll remember the story, he lost a fight on Dana White's contender series. But he spent the entire time being held down and talking. Or even when they were on the feet talking. And he left an impression on Dana White. He didn't win the fight. 
but he talked a lot. Well, when Tiago, when the opponent for Tiago Santos fell out, and I forget who it was, uh, they were trying to find a replacement to keep Santos on the card, and Dana White said, how about we call Big Mouth, uh, referencing Kevin Holland. And Holland accepted. He fought Tiago Santos at middleweight on short notice, and he lost and he, handily, but he was tough, and he fought the whole time, and it was enough to kind of keep him around the promotion. Uh, it's been kind of a knock on him for a while that he can be out-wrestled, and he doesn't, he didn't seem to have the right philosophy when he was on his back. Uh, I mean, the fight before this, I think it was, was either right before this one or the one before that. I think it was the Vittori fight, okay, so, yeah, it was Vittori. Um, Vittori out-wrestled him. I think Brunson did this, too. I forget which one in particular. Uh, Vittori was the main event, right? Was it the Apex? I'm going to th assume it was the Vittori fight, but I might be mistaken. Um, he spent, like, the entire time being held down, like, looking over at uh, Khabib, who was cage side, and saying, hey, talk me through this position. You know, just, he seemed to lean heavier on his personality in some respects and elements of his fighting skills. Now he seems to really be leaning into a bit more understanding the positions, understanding what he needs to do, understanding that if you're on your... You, there needs to be some urgency about what he does. Uh, and if he's really kind of figured all that stuff out... And it, has he lost... Hang on, I gotta double check. Because he's bounced between middleweight and welterweight a little bit. Um, he returned to welterweight earlier this year, stopped Alex Oliveira, here stops Means. But let me double check his... His record here. Uh, his first loss was in 2015 at a catchweight. His second, he fought Rafael Lovato Jr., actually. Loss, that was at middleweight. Okay, his only loss at middle at welterweight. He only has one. He lost to Curtis Millinder in 2017. Uh, that's fairly impressive. I mean, he's fought some tough guys. Uh, if you look throughout... Uh, he's been at the UFC for a while, actually. You know, since 18. But he's had a lot of fights. Fights he had for the UFC, actually. Hang on. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13... Yeah. 15? Sheesh. He's had 15 fights in four years? Because he fought, he fought four times in 18, he fought three times in 19, he fought five times in 2020, he fought three times in 2021, he's fought five, twice in 2022. Yeah, he is, he's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. Now, if he, the point there, if he's really kind of found himself, that guy's a problem. There's a real problem. Middleweight. Uh, Joaquin Buckley defeated Albert Duraya via doctor stoppage between rounds two and three. This was Buckley's... Put it like this. He's had some other knockouts that were a bit more flashy and impressive. I mean, that the one of Impa Kasanga and I like, lives forever, and deservedly so. One of the best knockouts you'll ever see. This was Joaquin Buckley's best performance. He fought smart... 
He was mobile. His gas tank held up the entire fight. That's been a problem for him in the past. And he stopped a very dangerous opponent. Albert Duraev is someone that I'm fairly high on. And Buckley stopped him from getting takedowns and busted him up. They stopped this fight between rounds because Duraev's left eye was swollen completely shut. I mean, it started swelling in the second, a little bit in the first, but really in the second, and uh, Buckley just kept hammering it with rights. Uh, Buckley survived a pretty nasty head kick, actually, in the first. I mean, he won the first round. Um, yeah. Buckley looked really good here, and really good in every facet of the game. Good shot selection, pretty good cage craft. Stopped everything that Duraev wanted to do. Completely defused Duraev. Uh, essentially neutered him in some very real ways. And Duraev's a... I said, Duraev's a guy I have a lot of... Uh, I'm fairly high on. In fact, I picked him to win here. And Buckley came into this fight ready for everything. Great win for Joaquin Buckley here. Uh, Duraev, I hope... Uh, if you haven't seen a picture of him, and look up his eye when they stop this thing shut completely. Uh, so I hope he's able to get that fixed. I assume something's broken in there. I don't know that it is, but that would be my loose assumption because, boy, was that thing messed up. So, a great win for Buckley. Uh, let's see. Demirius Magulov defeats Guram Kuta Deladze via split decision. It was a 29-28 each way. Then a 30-27 for Ismagulov, and I do not agree with that 30-27 at all. Yeah, there were some in, there were some interesting gaffes on the um, on a few different parts here. With the Buckley and Duraev fight again, it was stopped between rounds two and three. Uh, the ref uh, not referee, the ring announcer who was um, oh, why am I blanking on his name? It wasn't Bruce Buffer. It was um. I like the guy. He's really good at his job, and for some reason I am completely blanking. Uh, Martinez. Joe Martinez. He announced that as having been um, decided at 10 seconds of the third rather than at 5 minutes of the second. Uh, there, was a ta um, there was a tabulation error with the scorecards when they initially read them out uh, for this fight between Ismagulov and Kuta Deladze, they initially announced it as 28-28, 29-28 for Ismagulov and 30-27 for Ismagulov, which was utterly baffling. There's no reason for there to be a 10-8 round in this fight. Absolutely none whatsoever. Um, and the 30-27, I think, is crap. I don't know how you give Kuta Deladze the second. Uh, sorry, I don't know how you give Ismagulov the second. Uh, that... That seems very, very odd. Um, I mean, I don't know what that particular judge was looking at, just to be candid. Um, find his name if this will load. Uh, but the action here was pretty darn good. Kuta Deladze's very... He's a very good striker. He landed some nice body kicks. He was a bit more varied in his offense. Um, Ismagulov used his jab very nicely. He busted up uh, Kuta Deladze's face. He started building on it a little bit. Um, there was some good clinch fighting between these two guys. This was a really good fight. 
And in fact, apart from your main event, this would have been fight of the night, I think. Um, yeah, so we the other two judges were Chris Lee and Doug Crosby. Um, Lee for Ismagulov, Crosby for Kuda Deladze. And then you had Jason Staffin, who went 30-27 for Ismagulov, and I do not know this judge at all. I don't think I've ever heard his name read out before. Um, most of the media gave it to Kuda Deladze. I don't disagree with that. Um, I think the only rounds that make a de- that are kind of that should be a bit. Um, what was I swing round here? Well, if we look at Lee and Crosby, um, Crosby gave Kuda Deladze one and three. Lee gave Ismagulov two and three. So three seems to be kind of the swing round here. Um, the second round? Hang on, because I said the second round. I might have meant the first. I don't know. Uh, I was, I've was i been having some computer issues, so I can't stand by a whole lot of what I've been doing. Uh, but I did for this card, as far as scoring goes, so. Um, uh, hopefully that'll be resolved soon, but. Uh, point B, I think the 30-27, no. That, that. That's a bad scorecard. Uh, if you gave it to Kuta Deladze, I don't think that's wrong. I think 29-28 either way is a is an acceptable scorecard. But this was a really solid performance from Kuta Deladze, even in defeat. Kept a good pace, good uh, good offensive variety. Just struggled a little bit with the jab, and I don't I don't think he quite had. Um, he stopped some takedowns from Ismagulov, which were really nice. But I, I was a little bit surprised. Uh, the other kind of quasi point of controversy here is in the third round. Um, there's a bit of a takedown from Kuda Deladze. And uh, Ismagulov is looking to, he's on a hip. He's looking to, he's looking to kind of do hit a technical getup. And Kuda Deladze knees him. And it mostly hits the chest. But there's definitely part of that strike that hits the jaw. Now, I'm not sure of the specifics as far as the rulings here. I don't know if you can't hit the head at all. I don't know if there's some... Because uh, w- w- you can kick or knee the body of a downed opponent. But you can't do that to the head. So I don't know about the specifics of it. Uh, looking at the replay, it's understandable why the referee made the call that he did. Just put it like that. Uh, commentary was... like uh, was fairly emphatic that it was the chest, and again, most of it does land to the chest, to be very, very clear. But uh, the referee, because we're in Texas, so there's no replay, so the referee, uh, in this case it was Herb Dean, uh, had to make a split-second call, and again, looking at the replay from his angle, which you can kind of get, you can see how he arrived at the decision that he did. I think if he doesn't, uh, then they restart them on the feet because that's what you would do if there was a foul. I I think if the referee rules that that was a legal knee, which you very easily could. In fact, I think most people do believe it was legal. And he rides out because we were near the end of the round, but we were, I want to say like 30-ish seconds left. Uh, something around that. If Kuta Deladze is able to ride that out on top, I think he wins this fight. 
I mean, what kind of swung the, my opinion of the third is after the reset, um, Ismagulov drops a bomb of a right hand on him. <laughs> uh, so this was a good fight. These are both very, very talented fighters. Both of them have are gonna only going to move up in the world. I have nothing but um, fairly high expectations for both of these gentlemen going forward. So this was a good fight. All right, middleweight. Oh, this was nuts. Gregory Rodriguez defeats Julian Marquez via knockout punches, 318 of the first. This was every bit the just wild slugfest you'd expect. Um, Rodriguez has really good power, and he's got really good shot selection. Every time he hurt Marquez, Marquez would throw back because Marquez is a dog. But if you watch carefully, whenever Marquez would start throwing, Rodriguez is very cognizant of that, and his defense is still very present. He's still deflecting punches and landing his counters. Uh, really nice stuff from Rodriguez. I mean, Rodriguez has had some losses in the UFC. Uh, yeah, he had that split decision with uh, Armin Petrosian. That was a tough fight. I actually scored that for him, I seem to recall. Uh, he's won the others. But he's a really tough guy. Uh, if you weren't familiar with him before, this should have been a pretty big wake-up call for you. Um, sucks for Marquez, but, you know, I he, I mean, he'll be back. Marquez turns in fan-friendly fights every time he's out there. He dragged a watchable fight out of Sam Alvey, which takes a Herculean effort. So, uh, this, was a, this was a wild little slugfest, so my hat's off to both these guys. But really good stuff from Rodriguez. And kicking off the main card... Adrian Yanez defeats Tony Kelly via TKO, 349 of the first. Yanez beat the crap out of Kelly. Uh, not to say Kelly didn't have moments. He did. He landed a few punches. Had some, had some pretty good clinch work, actually. But Adrian Yanez has a really sharp jab. He's And he has really good shot selection. And he is a very, very accurate puncher. Watch the last little bit of this fight. Kelly's got his guard up and is kind of moving, and Yanez is able to constantly find an angle and drop his punches in the holes in his defense. Yanez um, uh, is legit. He said after the fight he wants to fight either Nate Manus or uh, Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley's got a fight with um, Pedro Munoz coming up, but if O'Malley wins that, you could do Yanez and O'Malley. Adrian Yanez is very good. Um, pay attention to this guy. He's 5-0 and now in the UFC. He uh, he got a bonus for this. We'll talk about the bonuses in a second. Uh, he has bonused in every one of his first five UFC fights. Uh, that's a very, very good fighter in a very, very good division. Uh, he's not doing this to bums. You know, he's beaten. He's beaten in the UFC thus far. Uh, Victor Rodriguez, who I don't think is with the promotion anymore. Sorry, that was um, yeah, that was his debut. He beat Gustavo Lopez, who's he's fought to a he's fought to a draw with Alatong Hele. He was a, a little bit lucky to get that. I mean, the point deduction to uh, Alatong was certainly warranted, but he beat Anthony Burchak. Like Lopez is a tough guy. He beat he stopped Randy Costa, and Randy Costa he's been very up and down in the UFC, but Randy Costa is a tough. Uh, uh, he's a tough out, tough fight. That split decision with Davy Grant probably shouldn't have been split. Uh, but Davy, I mean, Davy Grant's as tough as they come, man. You know, Grant will. You fight Davy Grant, you better bring a lunch. 
And here he stopped Tony Kelly, who I know people don't like, and I'm not saying there's no reason for disliking the guy. But Kelly had won two of his three UFC fights coming into this, and he stopped Randy Costa with elbows. Uh, he had a tough fight with um, Kai Kamaka the third. Like He's beating tough guys. It's time to get him a step up in class and probably a new fight deal. Uh, pay that man. Pay that man. Uh, Adrian Yanez is legit. So that was our main card. As for the rest of it, um, Natalia Silva defeated Jaz uh, Jasmine Jazdavisius for unanimous decision. 230-26 is in the 30-27. Not quite sure I get the 30-26, but uh, no issues with Silva winning. Uh, there were times, man, which... Here's why I don't agree with the 10-8s. If we're under the old scoring criteria, you have to nearly get a stoppage to warrant a 10-8, and I don't think she was ever that close. But under the new criteria, yeah, you could argue, um, especially the first. And Silva just really, really good about pot-shotting Jezdavisius at range and kind of tuned her up. Like, Silva looked really good. Uh, welterweight Jeremiah Wells knocked out Court McGee with a punch, 34, uh, 134 of the first. Sucks to see Court McGee go down, but really nice punch from Wells to finish it. Wells is someone we should be paying attention to. He's got skills. Um, he's got heavy hands. His punching technique could use some refinement. He's a little bit elbows flared and kind of swingy, but he's got power. He can fight on the ground. He's a tough guy. You know, he dealt with a hail of offense from Blood Diamond. Uh, kind of shut him down, wore him out, and then finished him, so... Uh, Wells is someone that we might want to be taking a pretty good look at. Um, featherweight. Ricardo Hamos defeats Jani, Danny Chavez via spinning back elbow knockout 112 of the first. Uh, Hamos was throwing all kinds of spinning techniques. And Chavez was avoiding most of them. Landed a few good calf kicks. And then Hamos just got him back towards the fence, jabbed the body, and Chavez was kind of circling away expecting an overhand right. Instead... Hamos has him measured, and spinning back elbow, knocked him out on his feet. Like, boom, Schwitz goes off, he's kind of leaning against the fence, and a couple of more punches before he falls, but beautiful, brutal knockout by Ricardo Hamos. Uh, that'll be one of your knockout of the year contenders, I'm fairly certain of it. Uh, lovely, lovely finish. Uh, Maria Oliveira and Gloria DePaula fought to a split decision, there were 29-28, two for Oliveira, one for DePaula... I scored it for DePaula, but well, this was all right. I don't remember too much about it. It wasn't a great fight, but it was certainly acceptable. Uh, Bantamweights, Cody Stamen defeats Eddie Wyland via TKO punches. 59 seconds of the first round. Stamen came out like a bat out of hell. Uh, landed a pretty solid 1-2 that kind of took Eddie's, uh, that took Wineland's balance. And he just never let him recover. He battered him back to the fence, unloaded. A little bit late on the stoppage, maybe even arguably from the ref. Um, Stamen needed this win. He was on a pretty good losing streak. I want to say four. It was three or four. Uh, he needed this in a big way. And afterwards seemed to indicate that he's finally kind of finding his footing and uh, is now starting to really fight at what he feels is closer to his uh, potential. Uh, yeah, he... He looked good here. This was a really good win. Um, as for Eddie Wineland, he retired after the fight. Uh, understandable. I mean, Wineland, they always reference that he was uh, a, he's a former WEC bantamweight champion, which he is. 
Uh, he was the first, for the record, uh, WEC bantamweight champion. He lost it in his first title defense against Chase Beebe. But, I mean, he debuted professionally in April of 2003. So, think about that. He's been fighting professionally, to say nothing of all the training, anything he might have done before that, for almost uh, for over 19 years. He debuted in April of 03. I mean, is it any wonder he is ready to pack it in? He's had 41 fights over, again, 19 years. Uh, he's one in, he's one and five in his last six. Like, it's probably time. Uh, I wish him all the best in whatever he chooses to do next. You know, Wineland, uh, I, mean, I have some fond memories of him and the fights that he's produced. So, best of luck to you, sir, and whatever you do next. Uh, middleweight. Oh, this was rough. Phil Hawes defeats Duran Wynn via TKO elbows, 425 of the second. Um, I gave Hawes a 10-8 in the first. I think most reasonable people did. Uh, Wynn just had nothing. Absolutely nothing for Hawes in this fight. Uh, I mean, it was just a brutal, brutal beatdown. Haas fought, kept him on the end of a jab, landed power punches. Anytime Wynn was able to get close, he started landing elbows. I mean, he just, they should pro his corner should probably not have let Wynn come out for the second round. That's how bad the first round was. Um, this really probably should have been stopped lo uh, minutes before it was. Like, this was just, I mean, this little, I don't, this is going to sound insulting to Duran Wynn, and I'm not trying to be insulting to him. This is about how good Hawes looked. I imagine that's how he would look if he was fighting, you know, me. I wouldn't have lasted... I would not have lasted a... one-eighth as long as Duran Wynn did, okay? If Phil Hawes hits me, like, the first four punches that he lands on Wynn, I'm unconscious, almost certainly, right? Like, I'm I'm not that tough. When I say this is what he this is kind of what Hawes might look like if he were fighting me, I mean that to say he looked so good and so dialed in that he turned a very tough, very good fighter into looking like someone who barely knows what they're doing. That's how good Phil Haas looked here. This was a marvelous performance from Phil Haas. Oh, and I hate to say it, but the only judge to actually give Phil Haas a 10-8 in that first round was Sal D'Amato. How is it that he's the only one that saw that one clearly? <laughs> yeah, to the other two guys, I don't know what, again, even under the old criteria, which was what I was trying to use when I was scoring fights, when I was scoring these ones, that's a 10-8 round. Even under the old rules, that's 10-8. That was just a brutal beatdown. Just brutal. Uh, and kicking everything off, Roman Delitze defeats Kyle Dawkins via knockout knee and punches, 113 of the first. Really nice finish from Roman Delitze here. Um, I think he hurt Dawkins with a... He hurt Dawkins with something. I forget what it was. He gets, uh, gets a takedown. Dawkins wall walks. Uh, I think it was just a right hand. He's just a punch. Uh, Delitze slips around to his back in the clinch. 
and catches him when he's not expecting it with a knee to the head. And you can knee the head from that position, but it's hard to get a lot of oomph on it. It's harder for big guys to do it, especially from the posture that both men had here. And you don't see them end fights all that often, but he hit him with a knee pretty much to the eye. Uh, nasty knee, good win for Delidze. Uh Yeah, solid finish, solid finish. So this event tied for most knockouts or TKO stoppages in a single event. There were eight of them. There's six other events that have had eight in UFC history. Uh, it was a violent night, guys. It's a violent night. So your fight of the night I mentioned was Cater and Emmett. As for your bonuses, as for your uh, performances rather than fight, the following individuals got $50,000 checks. Kevin Holland, Joaquin Buckley, Gregory Rodriguez, Adrian Yanez, Jeremiah Wells, Ricardo Hamos, Cody Stamen, Phil Haas, and Roman Delitze. Those of you keeping track of home, that means everyone who got a finish got a $50,000 check. Here's what kills me about this. This will be lauded as generosity on the UFC's part. And I'm not saying it's not generous. I am saying the UFC has done this more than once. They could absolutely afford this, uh, afford to do this for every card. The UFC makes over a billion dollars a year now. They're some of the most recent filings and people who have crunched the numbers on that kind of stuff. And if you, uh, if you want some of my, uh, at least one of my sources, uh, one of the things I research when I do this, because I'm kind of a polemic about this. I can't get detailed into all of these things. I just, uh, I don't have the time, I don't have the expertise, so I have a handful of experts, who I, people who I know know what they're talking about. I consult them and I relate to you, and that's kind of what a polemic is. Uh, but, uh, you know, Josh Nash, who is, uh, hey, not the face on Twitter, he he digs through this stuff. He digs, he's the one who's done a lot of coverage on the lawsuit that's uh, still ongoing against the UFC. Um, uh, yeah, the UFC at this point makes a billion dollars a year. They could absolutely afford to do this for every card. They won't, because they would be. Bear in mind, when I say they could afford to do this, I don't mean they could afford. They could do this and, you know, keep scraping by. I mean, they would still be massively profitable, just not as massively profitable. And given the state of Endeavor, the owner of the UFC, it's not surprising that they're kind of being as pocket as like penny pinching as they can but one of the ways you keep the uh, you keep the troops in line with stuff like this is random displays of generosity like this this is a weird thing about human psychology uh, this is this isn't only true of humans actually believe it or not this is true of animals too um, if you want to reinforce behavior uh, random reinforcement is actually more um, impactful than, uh, than consistent reinforcement. Right? You want to, you want to get a dog to perform a trick. You don't necessarily reward it every. I mean, you do when you're like teaching the dog the mechanics. Okay, how do you, how do you sit? This is how you sit. You sat. Good job. Here, have a treat. Now sit. But after they understand the base mechanics of it, random reinforcement is better at keeping the uh, the behavior imprinted than uh, regular 
reinforcement. And look, this is true of people as well. Again, I'm not entirely sure why it is, but if you want to help keep someone doing something, you randomly reinforce them positively for the behavior that you want rather than necessarily every time. So you look at some... So point being, if the UFC wants to keep its fighters from making a tremendous amount of noise, occasional random bouts of generosity like this will stick in people's heads. You know, there are fighters who are happy to tell stories about uh, generosity from the UFC. I think both Daniel Cormier and Michael Bisbing have told stories about how they were at times financially struggling a little bit when they were fighting and Dana White gifted them money. And that's, I'm not saying that's nothing. And in fact, if you're struggling financially, a $100,000 check from the UFC can make all the difference in the world. What I am saying about this is Dana White has lost more than that at a night of blackjack. He's probably lost more than that on a single hand of blackjack. And that's kind of what you're missing. But I, all that is to say, I am glad those fighters got paid. I've, I think I've proposed this before. Uh, do, essentially do away with the show and win bonus scenario. Bump everyone's pay by about 25%. Uh, you might change this for, like, there's certain contracts that this might not be applicable for. There are a bunch of fighters that have flat rates and whatnot. Even They should still... There should still be elements of this that apply to them, but uh, as a general rule, do away with show and win. Bump everyone's pay by... You could, again, you could do it even by a smaller amount. By, say, you know, 50-ish percent. And then just tell everyone you get... You, there And there are just always... There's always a bonus of... Again, we could do 50 grand. You get a finish, get a $50,000 check. Uh, that will incentivize the kind of fighting that the UFC wants to incentivize. I mean, the, the BS notion that you have to keep fighters hungry. By the way, has anyone asked Dana White if he if he has felt his hunger diminish as he has become incredibly wealthy? You know, Dana, you make, you know, hundreds of millions, you're worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Do you feel that you've lost some of your passion and your drive what you're doing and shouldn't you maybe take a pretty decent salary cut so that you're still hungry enough to continue along the way that the, uh, the same way that you think your fighters should be I mean, of course not it's ridiculous uh, but again, yeah, long and the short of it I'm glad all these fighters got paid the UFC should at a bare minimum be doing this for every event uh, I think you would have uh, you would quiet a lot of discomfort, a lot. You would actually quiet a lot of noise from fighters if you instituted a straight finish bonus for everyone. I just throw it out there. But if you want my full report, as well as round by round live scoring and whatnot, and gift uh, video clips of the finishes, 411mania.com in the MMA zone, you can find my full report there. All right, moving on. Um, you know what, before I move on, let me talk very briefly about some other stuff from around the week, from the weekend of combat sports. Uh, Japanese kickboxing had the match. A kickboxing fight between Tenshin Nasakawa and Takeru. I forget his last name, he only goes by Takeru, I, I seem to recall. And... They went out of their way to stop that 
fight and every highlight of it from being seen anywhere. This is one of the most profitable um, events ever, mind you. The everything was expensive. Tickets were very. Tickets were, this was a um, what was the gate? Look this up real fast. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of a translation issue potentially uh, about this, uh, and we have to convert. And we're converting Japanese yen to U.S. dollars, but somewhere between 15 and 25 million dollars. Um, I mean, they broke a record in terms of number of spectators. Are they like 59,000, over 59,000 people there? It was... Yeah, like front row seats were 22,000 apiece, I think. U.S. dollars, like 3 million yen. Uh, just a, a wildly successful event. And the people broadcasting this just really did not want anyone to see it. Uh, they have been very, they've been stingier than a lot of other fights and a lot of other organizations about taking down even like pics of the fight. Certainly any video clips or GIFs. Um, I don't, I don't really understand. I don't know. They didn't broadcast this in too many places, actually. Um. Yeah, it was kind of a mess. For as successful as this was, it was a little bit of a mess. Uh, as far as the fight itself, uh, it was only three rounds, and kickboxing rounds were three three-minute rounds. It was really good for as long as it lasted. Uh, Tenshin Nasakawa wins. Uh, I believe he retired after the fight, or is considering it. Um, he's undefeated in kickboxing and might have the first like meaningful undefeated kickboxing record if, if he retires. In decades, in uh, in that part of in that uh, segment of kickboxing. So, so, if you happen to see that, uh, or just want to be made aware of it, if you can find it, it I think it's worth looking up. Um, in the world of boxing, uh, I need to talk very briefly about this because uh, if you are not a big boxing fan, let me let me get you hip to someone who I think you would enjoy, even if you're normally an MMA guy who's not big on boxing. There's a light heavyweight who is Russian by birth, and he fights out of Montreal, Canada, and his name is Artur Beterbiev. He is remarkable. Uh, he fought Joe Smith Jr. He fights a light heavyweight in boxing, which is 175, I seem to recall. Um, he is now 18-0 with 18 stoppages. That's in a heck of a thing to do in boxing, especially as you increase in competition. There are some guys who might be able to pull that off at the lower levels, but he has been just abusing people. Uh, he, he stopped Joe Smith Jr. in the second round. He dropped him in the first. Joe Smith Jr., by the way, pretty darn tough fighter in his own right, had never been dropped prior to this fight. Uh, he got dropped at the end of the first with a nice little right hand from Better B. Have caught him on the temple, off-balanced him, dropped him to a knee, legitimate knockdown in boxing. Second round, Better B. Have just abused him, dropped him twice in the second, and then the finishing sequence... 
catches Smith with a left uppercut, then a right uppercut, then another couple of punches in the ref. Just like, please stop. Please stop. He's already dead. <laughs> uh, just, just rolled right over him. Um, he now has three of the four major belts at light heavyweight. He was the WBC and the IBF champion coming into this. He now won the uh, WBO. The only one missing is the... It was the WBA that Dimitri Bivol has. Uh, let's check Bivol real fast. I believe he's a WBA. Um, Bivol is, yeah, he's the WBA super. He's the WBA Super Light Heavyweight title Champion, which is not a weight class distinction. It means there's a regular champion and a super champion. And ugh. I've kind of, let me say it like this. When it comes to fighter pay, which is one of the things I've started to care a lot about recently, when you look at what fighters put themselves through, bringing the Ali Act to MMA might be the only reasonable way in a short period of time to get fighters more fair compensation. There's pros and there's cons that come along with that, and there need I think there do need to be some other considerations uh, in, and part of the, one of the things that you dislike about boxing, and a lot of people dislike this, it's not just that there's a lot of sanctioning bodies, there's a bunch. There tend to be only, the only four that really matter, the WBA, the WBA, the WBA, WBO, WBC, and IBF. Those are kind of the big four, whenever you hear talk about like undisputed champions in those uh in in boxing in a weight class they have those four belts some of them however are super titles instead of regular titles because it's easier to allow to bestow a super title on a champion so that he's not necessarily having to go through the same sets of mandatory challengers and can instead fight other fights or unify titles and then you have a regular champion who does more of the rank and file work and can earn a shot at the super champion and you see People don't really care for that, but Bivol is the WBA Super Light Heavyweight Champion. He is the only one of the four belt of the four major belts that Bivol does that uh, Better BF does not have. Um, Better BF and Bivol would be a darn good fight if they can make it. It would unify all four belts at light heavyweight, which I which might be a first of the four belt era. I'd have to double check that, but I th my hunch says that it is. I mean, Bivol's coming off of a one of the highest the highest profile win of his career when he beat Canelo Alvarez. And the judging for that fight was atrocious, by the way. That was a 10 rounds to two for... That, that was 10 rounds to two for Bivol. And everyone had it, like... All the official judges had it, uh, like... Was it eight to four? There... It's 12 rounds. Yeah, I think that... Uh, which is... And the way they scored it, too. Just, ugh. That, that was a whole other thing. So, I don't think it would draw a whole lot because neither Bivol nor Better Be ever big draws. But that would be a very, very, very good fight. And I hope they're able to make it. Uh, Better Be is... He's a, he's a lot of fun to watch. And he is a, uh, he is a force. He's an absolute force in the boxing world. I wanted to... Because uh, I, made, I made a point of watching that fight. Because I, I wanted to see it. I was curious. And he just... what he, I expected him to win, to be clear. 
Did not expect him to just abuse Joe Smith and get him out of there in less than six minutes. Like, that was... Uh, that guy's got some serious punching power. <laughs> so, if you're interested in some other stuff from around the combat sports world, in addition to MMA, there's a few recommendations for you from me. So, just so you... So if you can be hip to better be if you're at all curious. All right. Moving on. UFC on ESPN 38. This coming Saturday, the UFC is back at the Apex Center. This card is not great on paper, but there are some good fights. I want to make that very, very clear. There are some good fights here. There are some not so good ones, too. But Main event. Not the fight I would have made main event out of this particular card, but eh, what are you going to do? They... I don't know if they had someone else that they wanted to be in the main event for this one, and they wound up like offering it to some of these fighters on shorter notice for it to be five rounds than other than normal, and that led to other people, some of them not wanting to do five rounds on short notice, which I completely understand. But your main event is Armin Saryukian and Mateus Gangrun, which is a very good fight. Let me be clear. When I say this isn't the one I would have made main event, I would have gone with Magnin Rachmanov, which we'll talk about in a minute. This is a very good fight. Uh, Armin Saryukian is 18-2. and two. His only loss was his UFC debut. Sorry, his only loss in the UFC was, was his UFC debut. He fought uh, Islam Makhachev on somewhat short notice, and he wrestled with Makhachev for that full fight. Didn't win, but uh, that was a very good fight. He's won five in a row since then. Uh, three decisions in the last two have been finishes. Um, he missed weight when he fought Matt Frivola. Uh, that seems to have been a one-time thing, so hopefully he's got that under control and it was just a one of the randomness, one of the random things in the universe. But he stopped both Christos Yagos and Joel Alvarez in his last two fights. Um, he's good everywhere. He's a bit of a tank. And Mateusz Gamrot is uh, Polish, a very good grappler. Um, his only loss in the U.S. His only loss ever, actually. He dropped a close split decision to Guram Kuta Deladze in both of their UFC debuts. Since then, he knocked out Scott Holtzman, tapped out Jeremy Stevens, and TKO Diego, Carlos Diego Fajaya. This is a really good fight. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, I would feel better favoring... I would feel better favoring Saryuki in over three rounds instead of five, but Gamrot has fought five rounds before. Um, he was the uh, KSW featherweight champion. Uh, yeah, he he won the he uh, has won. Um, he has a couple of featherweight fights. Um, actually, just the one. Uh, no, just the one. But he, he fought at featherweight for five rounds uh, to win the vacant KSW featherweight championship. Um, he has fought into the fourth. Once, when he, uh, his first defense of the K, sorry, not his first, one of his defenses of the KSW lightweight title went four, and his last defense of it before he signed with the UFC went all five. So he's got more five-round experience, which, did he win that in a three-round fight? Weird. Sorry. Um, so he's got more five-round experience, which is a big thing. Both men are good grapplers. Saryukin's a better wrestler, but Gamrot's better if we're talking, like, submission grappling. Uh, 
I imagine Soyukian's the heavier puncher. He's a little bit more wild with his punches. Uh, I genuinely don't know what to expect out of this fight. Other than for it, other than that, it's very good. I think over five rounds, I am going to... Am I really going to lean Gamrot? I don't know if he can take what Soyukian can... I mean, he's only had the one loss. Soyukian can dish offense, though. He, he can put damage on you. So this is a really tough one. I think I am going to lean Saryukian. I don't know. I'm, I'm going back and forth as I think about this. My usual, you know what? I'm just going to be prepared to be very wrong about this. I'm going to pick Gamrot. I think the five-round experience is going to come into play. Uh, Saryukian might get him out of there early. That wouldn't shock me, actually, if he does it. Just for the record, would not shock me. But I think this one's more likely to go long. And I think the longer it goes, the, the that, experience, that experience is something you have to experience. You know, a lot of people have mentioned that about five rounds. You can train for a five-round fight. But the first time you have to fight it, it's different. And maybe it's different in ways that you can deal with and you can still win. Plenty of... Plenty of people have won five-round decisions in their, their first time fighting five rounds. That's that's common. But it is different. So I'm, I'm going to lean Gamrot, but very, very slightly, and great fight. Co-main event. Great fight. Neil Magny and Shavkat Rakhmanov. Again, this would have been my choice for main event. Uh, now, as I mentioned, if they came out with the offer of, hey... About five round main event, F, but you're you know not too far out from the event, and you can't you don't have time to adjust your training for it. I understand. Um, Magny won his last couple of fights. Had that tough fight with Max Griffin. That was split. I can't remember how I scored that one, but it was a tough fight. He beat Jeff Neal before that was a good win. I mean he's five and one in his last six. He's only lost to Michael Chiesa, and Chiesa outgrappled him over five rounds. Before that, Santiago Ponzinibbio stopped him. I'd put it into the fourth before he stopped him. Um, whereas Rachmanov is undefeated, he's 15-0, he is 3-0 in the UFC, and he has finished all... Has he finished everyone? Good grief. He has finished every one of his fights. I mean, this win over Carlston Harris earlier this year, that really nice um, wheel kick that dropped him. Um, Neil Magny is a tough kind of gatekeeper fighter at this point. I think we've seen his ceiling, which is very high, by the way. But I think we've seen it. He's here to be a really stiff test for Shavkat Rachmanov. And this is easily the toughest, this is the toughest fight Rachmanov has had. Neil Magny's a credentialed guy. He's been with the UFC for a long time. He's a lot of wins. He knows how to fight. He knows how to fight in pretty much every area. He knows how to win. So, big step up for Rachmanov. But, I'm a big believer in what Rachmanov does. I think very, very highly of his abilities. Uh... And I think he gets the win here. 
I won't be shocked if Magni proves a bit too much right now, if Magni finds, you know, avenues uh, to eventually get this one going in his direction. You know, Magni's, he's long, both these guys are long. Magni's got that absurd reach. He'll have the reach edge. If Magni can jab, you know, fight long, keep things at distance, mix in clinch work, I just, I'm not saying he can't win, but I, I'm a, I think Rachmanov's really on the come up at welterweight. I think that's someone that people are sleeping on Rachmanov a little bit. And I've been very impressed with what he's done in the UFC thus far. I think he gets it done here. So I'm, I'm picking Rachmanov, but that's a really good fight. Not so good a fight. Heavyweights. Josh Parisian and Alan Badeau. Uh, Parisian has gone one and uh, one and two in the UFC. Only one was a split decision win. Um, Badeau has not yet won in the UFC. I'll pick Parisian, but please just yeah, don't let it go long. Lightweight, Tiago Moises and Christos Yagos. This is not a bad fight. Um, Moises is on a bit of a rough streak. Lost his last two. He got uh, out-wrestled and submitted by Islam Makashev and then stopped by Joel Alvarez. But he'd won three in a row before that with some solid wins. Uh, Michael Johnson, Bobby Green, and Alexander Hernandez. Whereas Yagos... Um, he's been with the UFC for a bit, actually. Since 18, he's had several fights. He is 4-3 and three in the UFC. Uh, lost to Armin Soyuki in his last time out. Won twice before that, beating Sean Soriano and Carlton Minus. I think it went over Demir Hadzovic in there, too. I'm going to pick Moises here, but that's not a terrible fight. Bantamweight, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Nate Manus will take on Umar Nurmagomedov. Manus ha is 3-0 in the UFC. Wins over Tony Gravely, Luke Sanders, and Johnny Munoz Jr., I'm picking Nurmagomedov here. Um, Umar Nurmagomedov is pretty darn good, to the shock of no one. Uh, let me double check, actually. I'm 90% sure he is who I think he is, but I want to be... I'd like to be more 100%. Yeah, he's 14-0. and 0. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is 2-0 and 0 in the UFC. Wins over Sergey Morozov and Brian Kelleher. He submitted both of them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm picking Umar Nurmagomedov. I don't know how Manus is going to handle um, all the wrestling. And Umar Nurmagomedov is a pretty good striker, too. So, uh, Good fight. Bantamweights almost never miss. But I like Nurmagomedov there. Middleweight, Chris Curtis and Hadolfo Vieja. This is an interesting one. Um... Vieja's looking pretty good. He had the loss to Anthony Hernandez. He rebounded by beating Dustin, uh, yeah, Dustin Stoltzfus. I mean, like, Vieja's one of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners of his generation. Like, he's a remarkable jiu-jitsu guy. He's been working on his overall MMA game. Chris Curtis is just a, t yeah, this is the action man. He's got power. Uh... Had a bit of an improbable rise through the UFC with his two wins. I don't think he was favored to win either of them, but he did. <laughs> uh, his win over Phil Hawes came a little bit out of nowhere. Hawes was kind of doing a number on him before a 
Curtis landed a couple of good counters and turned the tide and then stopped him. Um, that wasn't his most recent fight. Who was it before that? Um, he beat Brendan Allen. Was I was a little bit surprised about that one too because I'm uh, I think fairly highly of Brendan Allen, but yeah, he stopped Allen in the first round. Um. I'm actually going to pick Curtis here, believe it or not. Uh, look, if this hits the mat, it's entirely possible, if not probable, that Vieira is can drown Curtis in his jiu-jitsu game. But I think Curtis is getting a little bit slept on. I, I am going to pick Curtis here. Uh, that's your main card. As for the prelims, light heavyweights, Carlos Ulberg and Tafan Chukwi. Oi. Ulberg, I guess. I think he. I think Ulberg can stick and move and fight long, and Chukwe struggles with that. But not looking forward to that one. Um, featherweight. Shyleon uh, Nerdon Beke and T.J. Brown. Um. He is 36 and 10. He's fought in the UFC twice, actually. Uh, lost to Josh Kulabau and then beat Sean Soriano. Whereas Brown, I'm sure this guy is who I think he is. Uh, he is 16 and 8. He is not who I thought he was. I recognize now that I see his picture, but not who I thought he was. Brown's gone two and two in the UFC. Debuted losing. He lost two in a row to Jordan Griffin and then Danny Chavez, but has rebounded pretty nicely. Wins over Kai Kamaka and Charles Rosa. I think I'm going to go Brown, but that's a lean. Uh, Bantamweights, Harley and Paiga and Paiva, excuse me, and Sergei Morozov. Morozov's had a rough run in the UFC. He fought, uh, he fought uh, Umar Nurmagomedov, I think both of their debuts. Gave Nurmagomedov a heck of a fight before uh, succumbing to submission in the second round. Beat Khalid Taha to bounce back. And then his fight with Douglas Silva de Andrade from February is one of the wildest fights you'll ever see. Just insane swings of momentum. He hurts Silva de Andrade. He gets his back. He nearly chokes him. He gets hurt. Uh, wild, wild fight. Morozov is so much better than his UFC record indicates. Uh, the same is somewhat true of Holly and Paiva who is 3-3 three and three in the UFC. Losses to Kai Kara de France, Rogerio Bontrian, and most recently Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley whooped him, man. Uh, I mean, he's looked better since moving back to Bantamweight. The Kyler Phillips win was pretty solid. I think I'm going to lean towards Morozov here, but he needs to kind of sort himself out. Uh, if he loses again here, that is not a ringing... Like, he's got a world of potential. But you've got to start actualizing that. Right? You've got to bring it to bear in a sustained way rather than just have people like me say, boy, he's he's pretty darn good on paper, but he's got to put it together. Uh, flyweight, J.P. Bays and Cody Durden. Huh. Durden. 1-2-1 one, and one in the UFC. Only win is over Oichi Long. Bays is what? 1-2? Uh, he's 9-4 and four overall. 0-2. Oh huh. 
a good fight with Montel Jackson, though. I mean, he lost it, but that was a good fight. Probably go with Bays here, but he's he's on some thin ice. Uh, bantamweight Brian Kelleher and Mario Bautista. Keller coming off of a loss to Umar Nurmagomedov. Let's see, where's Bautista? He is three and two in the UFC. Coming off a win, I'm I'm gonna lean toward I think I'm gonna lean towards Kelleher, but that'll probably be a good fight. We also have Vanessa Demopoulos and Jin Yu Fry. Probably going with Fry here. Um, Demopoulos has some really solid grappling. Really solid grappling. But if she can't bring it to bear, she struggles a bit. And Fry is a physical... It's kind of a physical tank. So I'm going to lean towards Fry there just a little bit. Um... We lose that fight. Okay, somewhat. There's a little bit of controversy around this one, so I'm going to list it, but I'm not sure. It does not have a bout order, and some places left it as listed as having fallen through. But there's a flyweight fight potentially between Tyson Nam and Tiger Ulanbekov. Let me check the UFC real fast because this site listed as having fallen through due to an Ulanbekov injury. Check the UFC here. Cater versus Emmett is not live now. I think the UFC updated their page. Well, I assume that'll be up tomorrow. All right, I'm going to leave that alone for the moment then. And just say that if the fight happens. I will favor Ulanbekov. Um, he had that loss to Tim Elliott in his last fight, but his two wins before that were pretty good. And Nam, Nam's a good fighter, but he has really struggled to find consistency. I mean, in the his current run in the UFC, he lost to Sergio Pettis, lost to Kai Kara France. Okay, like good fighters. Beat Sarah Kadashev, beat Jerome Rivera, and then lost to Matt Schnell. And Matt Schnell's another good fighter, but. He's got to really kind of even that out. So I'm going to lean towards Julian Bekov, assuming the fight happens. So well, I will have coverage of that event Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So if you are so inclined, please do stop by and say hello. I always appreciate it. All right. Moving on to news such as it is. Um, the UFC is working on a bantamweight title fight. Aljamain Sterling going for his first defense. Second defense. Second defense. When he takes on TJ Dillashaw, they're trying to have this set for UFC 279. Not necessarily. I I think I might have gone with Aldo, personally. Aldo and Sterling. But I don't think this is egregious. This is like terrible matchmaking. It's not necessarily what I would have done. Um, you know, look, Dillashaw never was beaten for his title. Lost it because of his uh, drug use. Served a suspension, came back. I thought he lost that Sandhagen fight, though, just for the record. Um, I think especially in light of you know, scoring under the new criteria, I think they really fumbled that one. Uh, he's just coming off of the... Um, let me just put it like this. I don't object to him getting the title shot, 
But his only win... Assuming it happens at UFC 279. Let me pull him up real fast. Because 279 is currently scheduled to take place September 10th. We don't have a date or a venue yet. But this is kind of what they're aiming for. This hasn't been announced. So, again, in the works, not signed at the moment. But, again, September 10th. And TJ's last... Because he had to... His knee got torn up when he fought Santa. So we had to have that surgically repaired. So he will have one win. A controversial split decision. In over three years. And, I mean, it's not like... Uh, not like old Aljamain Sterling's... I, I don't object to him getting the win over Jan. I think if you were to apply the same lot... Here's one of the things that kills me about the scoring criteria. It's not that I think it's bad, I have issues with it, but... I think if you apply the same logic to... Jan Sterling 2 that you did to Shevchenko and Santos... Jan should have won that fight. I scored it for Jan... In full disclosure, I, that said, I don't object to Sterling win in some kind of like, it was a robbery, it wasn't a robbery. In fact, it was probably the more accurate reflection of what happened, but the scoring criteria doesn't always accurately reflect what happened. It reflects the scoring criteria. So, again, not necessarily the direction I would have gone, but it's a fine fight. Um, assuming it gets made, so we'll uh, wait and see on that. But you're going to have a couple of people. I don't know who the crowd's going to be with on that one. Because Sterling's not exactly a fan favorite, and neither is Dillashaw at this point. So, we'll wait and see. Uh, let's see, other bits of news. Um, Zabit Magomed Sharipov announced he is retiring from mixed martial arts. He is pursuing a career as a doctor. Um, I think he said one of the things that led to this decision was he lost the desire to hurt people. And you know... Fair play to him. If that's gone from you, if you have lost the desire to inflict damage on another human being, do not fight for a living. Like that's that's a that's a bit of damage to your. Bear in mind, when I say damage, I do kind of mean that. I've said this before. Doing violence to another human being is itself a traumatic event. You're you're not. We're not really meant to hurt each other. You know, either physically or psychologically. So, people who do that for a living, yeah, there's something different about them. We all know this. You know, the the people who fight for a living, you are doing damage to another human being, and you are taking damage, and that, it, it messes with you. You know, there's a reason that there's a lot of people, go to any gym, and you can find people who, in that gym, will in the course of sparring or whatnot, be that light or hard, will hang or beat professional fighters. Like, they'll get the better of them. And then, well, why don't you fight? I, you know, I'm no, when you get out there and you have to really hurt somebody, it's different. There are people who are successful fighters who are not the best technically, but who are very in tune with the part of them that lets them hurt another human being. And that, and that part of your psychology and your makeup amounts for a lot when you have to do it. 
you know, I've I, I don't think I would ever have I don't think I have what it takes to be a professional fighter I train because I enjoy it uh, kind of the long and the short of that and I've done you know I've done sparring but I I genuinely don't know what it would you know what it's like to have to hurt someone especially just like for your job like my job requires me to give you brain damage I don't know that's you have to be okay with that you have to go into that cage you know I'm Tim Bradley uh former world champion boxer now he's a one of the commentators for I think ESPN I forget which broadcast service but one of them and he's not bad at it but he's told the story many times. Every time before he went out to fight, he and his wife would have a conversation and he would say, I might not be the same person when I come back. Like, psychologically, I might be different. That's legit. That's real. You run that risk. And if you're not okay with that, if you, I've said this before, like, you could kill someone in there. People do. Just a couple of weeks ago, some South African boxer died. I mean, the clip of what happened to him made the rounds because it was, if you don't know what you're looking at, it's funny. Like, he kind of off-balance, he gets cracked, and he, at the same time he hits the other guy, and he off-balances the other guy, and the ref kind of resets them. And the guy who wound up dying, like, turned and started walking towards the corner where there's no one and throwing punches. Like, something's very clearly wrong here. And he, again, he passed a few days later. You could do that to, like, the guy who he was fighting, who did nothing wrong, nothing illegal, nothing outside the laws, of the rules of fighting, of the boxing match, nothing like that, but he killed a man. And he's talked a little bit about it, uh, you know, people have been sending him just terrible things, like, that changes you. And you have to be okay, if you accept that I'm going to sign on the dotted line and I'm going to go fight, I might die, I might kill someone. That's reality. And you have to be okay with that. And if you're not, if you're not okay with hurting someone, then be done. And that's that's not a moral judgment. That doesn't make him any less. But if he has lost that, then yeah, he should be done. And you know what? God bless him. If he, I hope he makes a fine doctor. Uh, he might go down as one of the bigger what-ifs that have come out of the UFC, because... He captured a lot of people's imagination, you know? Um, but I wish him all the best. If he's he's in training for some kind of medical... I uh, Make the world a better place, man. Seriously. Uh, last bit of news that I have here. Um, this also pertains to upcoming match. The UFC is looking at having uh, Jose Aldo versus Marab Dwalis really to take place at UFC 278. This would be the card in Salt Lake, that uh, Salt Lake City, that is headlined by Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. That's a heck of a fight. Um, I am a little bit torn about this. Aldo's good about stopping takedowns. He's good about inflicting damage. But Marab has the most relentless motor I think I've ever seen. That guy just never stops. Watch his... Fu- I get tired watching him fight. Like That's the pace he keeps. And, and he does it with like hard, labor-intensive stuff. He will wrestle you for 15 minutes. And there's... 
I think Eddie Alvarez said it one time, like, you can't wrestle for 15 minutes. You can wrestle for about 10. Because wrestling is so physically taxing. And no, Marab Dwalis really will wrestle for 15 minutes. He has, he has an absolutely insane motor. My initial thought is leaning towards Aldo because Dwalis really gets hit. And while he's got a good chin, he's also fighting a guy who is really good about closing the show. But if they make it, that's a perfectly fine uh, fight to add to a pay-per-view, so... So hopefully that gets, we'll see if that gets confirmed or whatnot, but that's in the works. All right. That is everything I've written down for news. Let me check Twitter one last time. And if that's, if there's nothing new breaking, we will get out of here. All right. Nope. Nothing new. So plugs. I've got a fair amount of podcasting to do this week, believe it or not. Monday, there will be a triple feature. Two straight to streaming movies and one that we should have done otherwise, but put off until it came out on uh, digital purchase, so we will, myself and Mark Radulich, is there anyone else on that one, actually? Double check. I don't think there is. Yeah, that's just me and Mark. Uh, we will be talking about the triple feature of Spiderhead, which has been on the docket since it was originally supposed to be released quite a while ago. The Father of the Bride remake, starring Andy Garcia and Gloria Estefan. That's on, um, those are on Netflix and HBO Max, respectively. And the movie that everyone talked about and got a pretty big theatrical release, believe it or not, uh, that should have been on our schedule for Damn You Hollywood, but didn't quite make it on because it kind of bounced around a little bit and we weren't quite sure what was going on with it, so it just kind of got pushed back. But everything, everywhere, all at once. I liked one of these. Um, and I'll let you guess which one, but we will talk about all three. I imagine the bulk of our conversation will be devoted to everything, everywhere, all at once. There's not much to say about the other two. But that will be Monday. Tuesday will be a Damn You Hollywood double shot for, uh, first, the, uh, the Chippendale movie that is on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, Disney+. Plus. And the Pixar feature, Lightyear, which had a pretty disappointing opening, all things considered, uh, was a good bit below what uh, Disney wanted out of it. So we will be reviewing those two films. That will be myself, Mark Radulich, Alexis Wright, uh, Alexis Haina, and David Wright. Sorry, screwed up the names, the last names there. So we will talk animation because Chippendale has a fair bit of that that goes on to it. And we will talk Lightyear and all the stuff that goes along with that. So that's my podcasting for the week. As for my other stuff, um, I before recording this show, I got it out later than usual because I had to finish covering TNA Impact, uh, not TNA, Impact Wrestling Slammiversary. This was their 20 years. And I watched TNA... I wasn't a day one guy. I will not pretend to be that. I started watching around the time Christian moved from the WWE to TNA and started going by Christian Cage. I was aware of them before that, but when I started kind of like, I mean, who didn't go out of their way to find that first triple threat match between Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, and Christopher Daniels? Like, the... I was really kind of, I was a, I was um, kind of a hardcore fan at that point, so everyone heard about that match, and you looked that up. 
because that was uh, it was amazing. Still love that match. We will. So I covered their 20th anniversary show. Never thought for as many times that company has been on the brink of just total collapse. 20 years, man. They're still going. They are still going. So good for them. So my full report for that is in the wrestling zone of 411mania.com. Other professional wrestling related coverage. I cover AW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, and Saturday, UFC, of course, UFC and ESPN Plus, uh, UFC and ESPN 37, not on ESPN Plus. I mean, I'll watch on ESPN Plus, but it's also on ESPN. So that's what's on the agenda for the week. And next, uh, next Sunday, we will be back here recording to review UFC on ESPN, sorry, 38, 38, reviewing UFC on ESPN 38 and previewing... UFC 276, Cannoneer versus Adesanya. Also on that card, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. So, be previewing the big, um, you know, what used to be International Fight Week. This takes place on the 2nd of July, one of my brother's birthdays. So, I uh, will have a full preview of that for you next week. That's a pretty solid card, actually, looking at it. That's not saying everything's great, but that's solid. I mean, those top two fights are great. Getting two title fights, you're getting a third fight between two guys who operate at the very bleeding edge of what t of MMA sophistication. Uh, you got Sean Strickland and Alex Pereja. That's that could be wild. Pedro Munoz and Sean O'Malley, Robbie Lawler, Brian Barberina, like. There's some good stuff on that card. So, full preview next week. Until then, I'm out of here. It's actually really late. <laughs> so, I'm done. Thank you all very, very much for listening. I deeply appreciate you all as always. Until next time, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>